Anyways, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? So I'm told that every good message should start with a story. So who here wants to hear a story? Oh, gosh, that was a lot more than I was hoping for. I was expecting like five hands to go up. I don't actually have a story this morning. I'm sorry. You guys really outplayed me there. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to hear a story, come find me after. I can tell a story, whatever you like. Um, But no stories today. I I trust that you will find it in your hearts to forgive me. But there's just too much to talk about here today and so little time. So if it's all right with everyone, why don't we go ahead and jump right in. Well, we're going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I think we need to remind ourselves from time to time how to understand this thing. You see, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not another checklist of items to do, or do them this ways, or else. It's not even really about behavior modification and just making sure you do the right thing, even if doing the right thing is important. Just behavior modification would be the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. No, it's about the heart. Or another way to put it, it's about who you are. It's about a life within the kingdom of God, which, by the way, has come so close to us that it's pretty much right in our faces, right in front of us. And he uses illustrations of what a person walking in the kingdom of God would be like. I'll say that last part again. These are illustrations and descriptions of what a person so immersed in the kingdom of God would be like and what they might do because that's who they are. It's not a prescription of exactly how to do these handful of things that he talks about. That's why he suggests that someone in kingdom living should pray like this, the word like being very key here. Similarly, his image of a person who goes to their private room uh, to pray to God is descriptive, not prescriptive, of what someone might do. He uses these realistic and practical and actionable examples to help us understand the principle and the heart uh, behind them. So this list here, it's not exhaustive. It extends beyond what's only mentioned in these pages. But if someone were to take on the kind of heart and character described in these pages, well, they would certainly have no problem navigating those other spaces that aren't mentioned here. So, how's that? It's not another to-do list for you. We're going to talk about giving and praying and fasting. And I know how easy it is to feel guilty about some of those things. Or to feel guilty about not doing them. Or doing them poorly. We get guilt-tripped enough as is, I think we'll be just fine if we don't add any more of that today. It's not a to-do list. It's a description of the character of someone so immersed in the kingdom of God. 
It's a description of characteristics that you can genuinely adopt as well, if you like. So, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'll start from verse 1, which uh, I know Pastor Eric covered last week, but it helps us to start there. So, um, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll be bouncing around just a little bit. So, do be careful to follow along. Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then we'll move on to verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I want us to explore a few things today to help us establish a healthy perspective towards giving and prayer and fasting, just to name a few. Really just righteousness in general. First, I want to briefly talk about what righteousness is not, just so we can shed those unhealthy habits and perspectives that we might have adopted over time. And then I want us to explore what righteousness is, to replace those old misconceptions with a new healthier vision of righteousness within the kingdom of God. And then we'll look at a couple of examples and how they practically play out as Jesus describes for us. Now, Jesus mentions practicing righteousness here, but what exactly is righteousness? Righteousness is not exactly holiness. It can be better understood as rightness or a state of being as one ought to be. If a carnivorous lion were to one day say, I'm not a lion, I'm a rabbit, and started behaving like a rabbit, it wouldn't be right of it. Not because acting like a rabbit is morally wrong or anything, but, well, because the lion needs meat, not plants like a rabbit might eat. Now, if the rabbit were to say, well, I'm not a rabbit, I'm a lion, and I'm going to start acting like a lion, and that rabbit went to go hang out in the middle of a pride of lions, that would not be very right of it. Again, not because acting like a lion is morally wrong, but I think we can quickly see why that would not be very good for the rabbit. So rightness is not really such a bad thing then, after all. 
Well, let's talk about what righteousness is not. This one really is pretty easy for us because Jesus pretty explicitly tells us what we ought not to be like. We see it a few times here repeated in the same way. You must not be like who? Like the hypocrites, because they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen by others. And then again, whenever you fast, you must not be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they love to make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. We see the same thing from the passage Pastor Eric preached on last week. Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Are we noticing a pattern? Three times Jesus gives us the picture of the hypocrites who do these things intentionally, publicly, in order to be seen by others. Now, before we go on, let's talk about what a hypocrite is, because we might be tempted to get it a little bit wrong here. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a hypocrite as a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. Now that's close, but not quite what Jesus was referring to in his time to his audience. In Jesus' day, the word hypocrite actually meant actor, or specifically, a stage player. These actors would wear masks and tell a story, but of course it's, it's not them, it's just the characters that are playing, right? They're just actors. It's not who they really are. That's why Jesus is talking about the hypocrites here. Because they are people who, as we say it today, are putting on a show. They care what people are saying on the outside, but as to what's on the inside, what's in the heart, who they really are, well, it's anybody's guess. And to be fair, Jesus does say they have their reward. What exactly is the reward for giving, praying, and fasting in order to be seen by others? Well, it's a little bit obvious. It's respectability. Respectability. We might be tempted to make sure people know how much we donate to charity so that they say, oh, wow, look at them. You know, they're they're so generous. Or maybe that they see us pray so strongly and and so long and think, wow, look at them. You know, they they must really have an in with God. Or maybe us fasting and say, wow, look at that. They're, They're so holy. I mean, that's like Christian extra credit, right? We want the praise. We like the praise. We want people to think highly of us. It's It's a very common temptation, and and usually it might take a more subtle form than I described just now. But Jesus is telling us here, don't don't fall for it. Don't let them get the better of you. And that's really what he's saying when he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness before others, to be seen by them. It's friendly caution. Be careful. Hey, watch out. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into the respectability trap. Maybe we're not so blatantly egotistical to be seeking all that praise and respect. But what about the inverse of this? Do we do these things 
not so that people look up to us, but so that they don't look down on us or so that we won't feel judged. Someone asks you, hey, so how much did you give to, to this cause? And you're like, uh, what, you didn't give any money? Do you just not believe in it? Are, are you a racist? Are you a bigot? And you're like, oh, whoa, okay, coming off strong. Here, you know, I'll get some money, get off my case. Maybe that conversation doesn't happen every time, so overtly, right? But how many times do we give? Because if we didn't, we would feel bad if we didn't. And so we give before it even becomes a problem. Guilt and shame successfully averted. Or maybe we pray once a week because, well, you know someone is going to ask you, well, did you pray? Or maybe say, well, you should pray more. And so we do pray because, well, I know I should pray more. But maybe it doesn't feel particularly good or right when we pray. I mean, it certainly feels better than getting judged for not praying, so we'll go do it. Friends, that is just the respectability trap. And in your defense, that's not fair of others to do that to you, to judge you in that way. We're not here to guilt each other into conforming to these external acts of righteousness. That would make us those mask-wearing hypocrites. We're not here for mere behavior modification or for a respectability trap. But there's good news. Jesus came to set us free from those chains. Jesus is saying, you really don't have to live that way if you don't want to. Now, if respectability from others is what you want, well, then you can have it. I won't stop you. But is that what you want? Is that how you want to live your whole life? Because I know of something a lot better. Well, we've looked at what unhealthy righteousness looks like. This righteousness that seeks to gain the respect and attention of others by just manipulating our external behavior and its reward being respectability or at least the avoidance of the guilt and shame and judgment of others. But what is healthy righteousness look like? And what is its reward? And yes, there is a reward. I hope we're not so turned off to the possibility that there could be a reward. I know we have our health and wealth prosperity gospel radars on, and so when we hear the word reward, it makes us think that, oh, is that what this is going to be? But it's there. Jesus says it three times, so we have to do something about it now, don't we? Well, to put you at ease, I can assure you there is a reward, but it's one of an entirely different nature. Look at the text. It says, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Did we see it there? The things we're doing are in secret, and thus the reward also is in secret. It's not necessarily a, a visible, measurable reward in the sense of wealth, health, fame, 
respectability. And we have numbers and metrics to visualize each of those. More money? Good. Uh, We uh, want our health diagnostics to be within a certain range. Politicians have approval ratings. If those are the things that you want, you're certainly allowed to pursue them, and, well, you will have your reward. God won't stop you. They're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but he is hinting at a better reward, a hidden one. With righteousness, you're not building a portfolio or a campaign or a reputation. You're building a life. You're building a life that walks and talks with God. You're building a life that walks and talks empowered by the Spirit so that you can build a life that walks and talks like Jesus. You're building a life with an eternal kind of quality to it. You know, the really good kind. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Now, I mentioned that there are these uh, three practices of righteousness, giving, praying, and fasting. They're examples. They don't make this exhaustive list of practices, but they are pretty good case studies. So let's look at each of them briefly, figure out what they are, and what the true word of them is, if it's not respectability. Well, giving is first on our list, and I actually won't give any attention to it today because I think Pastor Eric already did an excellent job walking us through that last week. If you weren't here for that or you need a refresher, it's worth your time, and I recommend you go back and see what you can learn from it with the lens that we're taking today. Well, okay, next is prayer then. For this one, I actually want to start with the reward first. And I think it'll help us to understand what prayer is in general. I'll just give it to you right away. The reward that is in secret when it comes to prayer is a relationship. A relationship. Now, it may be hard or even impossible to see a relationship. I mean, can you hold a relationship in the palm of your hand or measure it with a stick or test it in a lab? No, it's in secret. But just because a relationship is in secret doesn't make it any less real. And they do hold real value. Again, one that cannot be measured by money or status or progress, as we so like today. And if I were to ask you the question, why is it good for you to hang out with your best friend? How would you feel? Why, why is it good for you to hang out with your best friend? Well, I, I think we might struggle to answer that question because the question isn't quite seeing it from the right perspective. But we don't spend time with the people that we love because they have something to offer us or because we're forced to, there are, of course, exceptions. But generally speaking, true, pure, ideal friendship has two people spending time together, not because they have to, but because they want to. I mean, how draining are those relationships where we feel like we have to spend time with that person, 
Otherwise, X, Y, Z will happen, and we don't want those things to happen. But isn't that the point that we want to get to with any of our relationships? Where it feels natural, and dare I even say, like we don't have to try at all? Ones where we don't have to posture in front of each other and put on masks. Ones where we can just simply be with each other. Where we actually want to be with each other. In any good friendship, we're free to be ourselves, to be honest. We're free to ask for help when we need help. We cooperate and we communicate about all the things that we're doing and the things that we're doing together. That's the aim here with prayer, with a conversational relationship with God. We're not trying to get others to respect us. We're not even trying to get God to respect us. We pursue a relationship with God because that is a reward in and of itself. And I'll tell you now, that kind of relationship with God is attainable. So I hesitate to even ask the question, well, why why is it good for us to pray to our Heavenly Father? Because if we ask that question, I think we might have already so far missed the point to even begin to understand this passage in prayer in general. It's not another checklist item for you to do. Remember, none of this stuff on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is. It's not more that you have to do. It's a new heart to adopt. A new way to be as sons and daughters and friends in the kingdom of God. It's what we get to be, not what we have to do. Now, naturally, as we take on the being, a sort of doing does come about, but it looks different now. We do because, well, that's just what we would do. That's who we are, not because we have to or else. What we're searching for here is not a question of just what must I do? It's not a question but rather an image and a vision of what life could look like, what really could be in this new and present kingdom of God, and then following that wherever it takes you. Are we starting to get the hang of it a little bit? For any of our practices in life, we can apply a similar process as to the one that we just did looking at prayer. We sit down, and without being hurried or rushed, we genuinely ask ourselves, what is the purpose of that? What is not the purpose of it? We ask ourselves not what we must do, but who we can dare to be in this new and present kingdom of God. And I know this may be new to some of us, and I might have lost some of us on that prayer example, so let's try the same thing this time with fasting. Fasting. I haven't lost you already, have I? (laughs) Because if there's anything more foreign than prayer, it's got to be fasting. Let's just look at it step by step then. We'll start again with what we know. Jesus says, be careful not to practice fasting before others, to be seen by them. That's not what it's about. Avoid the respectability trap. 
So we can confidently know that fasting is not about appearing holy and spiritual before others. And again, even before God. God doesn't look at our fasting and think, ah, yes, well, now you are worthy. Or, ah, yes, now I will grant you your wishes. We're not here to impress. Thank God. Because if we were here to impress, I imagine we wouldn't be very impressive at all. Well, if fasting isn't about impressing people or God, then what is it about? Well, fasting is many things, but simply put, fasting is about aligning ourselves with God's will and his heart. That's the reward that is in secret, or at least one of them. Aligning ourselves with God's will and his heart. Well, how does that happen? As we're fasting, we're trimming the fat, throwing off the excess, unnecessary things until all that's left are the most important things. Things that really, really matter. The bigger picture. And that is something that God is very happy to show us. If you find that hard to believe, maybe ask yourself why Jesus himself, the Son of God, who was always talking with God from the very beginning, felt it was important for him to fast for 40 days before starting his ministry. It's curious, isn't it? I I do need to mention this disclaimer at some point, but I understand if some people can't fast from food for legitimate health reasons. Like I said earlier, there are exceptions, and thank God for exceptions. But if you have ever fasted for a long time, or at pretty regular intervals, you might be familiar with the process. At first, it starts off with a mild discomfort. You get hungry. But eventually, it evolves into a more severe discomfort. You're really hungry. All you can think about is food. You might feel weak. You might feel grumpy. You might feel anxious. Your body goes into this miniature survival mode because it's worried that something is wrong. This isn't right. This is not okay. And you really do feel it all over. But if you were to do this on several different occasions, or maybe even just one really long occasion, you'd be able to look back on your experience and see the usefulness of fasting. You'd discover that what lies just beyond that anxious survival mode is a moment of clarity. You'd realize, oh, I'm okay. I mean, I'm hungry. But I'm okay. I can function. I can think. I'm not dying. I'm going to be okay. So now food doesn't seem as important as it used to. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still important. But now it's in its proper place. And now that it's in its proper place, you can contemplate the things of God. The things that God deems as really, really important. You start to say, God, now I see what you're doing. Now I see what matters. Life really is more than food and drink. 
Life really is more than my own comfort and getting what I want when I want it. I, I can go without those things. I can go with a little bit of discomfort and be just fine. So now God is showing you his will and all that he is doing. And you're finally able to see it and to take part in it. So that seems a lot more reasonable than fasting just to look good, right? There are harmful, unhealthy ways to practice our righteousness. And there are healthy and helpful and reasonable ways. We took a close look at giving, prayer, and fasting, but the list extends beyond just these three to everything we do in our Christian life. I know it's hard work and it leads us to uncomfortable places, but I hope you will go home and ask yourselves the same questions that we've asked today to other things that we do. Asking why. Why, why do we do that? What is its purpose? Is it actually good? Why is it good? And, and maybe don't take just because as an acceptable answer for yourself. Or, oh, well, that's just how, how we've always done things. No, re- really look for those answers. Jesus tells me, don't repay evil with evil. Why? Why, why is that a good thing, genuinely? Or I'm told to read my Bible every day. Why? What's the real purpose? What's really happening when I'm doing that? You know, in all honesty, my eyes glaze over the page when I read every morning. Am I sure that I'm not missing the point somehow? Why do I bother coming to church on a Sunday morning? Not really a popular thing to ask standing on this side of things. But go ahead, ask yourself. It's okay to ask. Why come? Do I come because if I don't, then people will look down on me? The respectability trap. Or do I come because there might actually be a perfectly good reason to come? A lot of hard questions, and I'm not going to answer them for you right here, right now. But I assure you, there are answers to all of them. You might end up even being surprised by some of the answers you find. But you will find them if you look. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we give? or pray, or fast? Is it so that others will respect us for it? Is it so that others won't disrespect us for not doing it? Or do we do it because we genuinely see and believe that they are good things and good practices? Not just empty, arbitrary, religious rituals, but it's a reasonable righteousness. One that draws us deeper and deeper into the kingdom of God and all the goodness in it. The kingdom of God is available. Take a hold of it. Enter into it. Don't just play the part 
like a stage puppet. Really be that person who is changed, not just someone who's faking it. Jesus came to announce that the kingdom of God is among you. He came to let us know it's possible to enter into it and to experience it for all its goodness because he made it possible to enter into by shedding his blood on the cross. You don't have to fake it anymore. You don't have to fake it for others, for yourself, or for God. The kingdom of God is real. It is here. It is now. It is a wonderful place to be and to take a part of. So, let's thank God for that right now, shall we? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you have made your kingdom available to the smallest of us, the poorest of us, the saddest of us, the weakest of us, even the most successful of us. God, you've made it available for us to enter into. We praise you for that. We thank you that we don't have to earn our way to anything. We don't have to fake who we are. But we really can be the kind of people that we want to be, the kind of people that you want us to be. We really can be like your son. God, we do pray that you would help us to be like your son, that we can be sons and daughters and citizens of your kingdom and really, really act like it, only not acting. That we can genuinely be the people that you describe as being right, as we ought to be. We know it really is good, good for us, the good way to live, and we often need help. So help us, Lord. Again, we thank you and praise you for bringing your kingdom to us. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.